Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the, at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode is brought to you by Page and Pairing. Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you book wine, and recipe recommendations, plus exclusive perks like author interviews and essays, music playlists, and writing tips. Sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. And if you're tired of wondering what to read, drink, and cook, Page and Pairing does it all for you, dropping all three into your inbox. Books are definitely better when paired with great wine and delicious food. So Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you all three curated for your pleasure and dropped in your inbox. Again, sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. 
Helen Fisher spent her early life in America, but grew up mainly in Suffolk, England. She studied psychology at Westminster University and ergonomics at University College London. She also worked as a senior evaluator in research at the Royal National Institute of Blind People. Helen's debut novel, Fay Far Away, is perfect for fans of The Time Traveler's Wife. The novel examines loss, faith, and love as it follows a grown woman who travels back in time to reunite with the mother she lost when she was a child. Her novel was called Space Hoppers in the UK, and we discussed why it had to have different names in both places, and it was one of the UK's most extraordinary debuts of 2021. I hope you enjoy our really amazing, awesome conversation. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So your book in the US is called Faye Far Away, but it is not called that in the UK, and tell me about that and your frustration perhaps with the toys and what we call them here versus where you are well it was never it was never anything I, I thought about so this is this is the proof in the UK so it's space hopper as you know and when I was writing it this is my first novel that's been published so I didn't have an agent or anything I was writing it because I wanted to write something and I just called it the space hopper it was a little bit of a what should I call it anything and I picked that if I knew then what problems it causes when you get your heart set on a title I probably would have just called it book (laughs) and just left it and then so it's called the space hopper and then my agent said let's perhaps change it to space hopper but when it was picked up by a publisher and then the US were interested oh and first of all the the English the the UK side did want to change it so we went through all sorts of different ideas and one of the reasons it wanted it needed to be changed was because I don't think Americans know what a space hopper is. Do they know what a space hopper? No, and I didn't. I didn't really know that. And I am half American, but I was very young when I moved here, so I didn't realise. And I was googling it, thinking, "Well, we'll just call it the American version of a space hopper." But that was hoppity hop. And I was like, "We can't." Oh yes, hoppity hop. Yeah, those little things. Yeah, around. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in England. Space hoppers are, are iconic. They represent the 70s, practically, uh, 70s childhood. But I don't think in America that a hoppity hop has the same relevance for, for Americans. Was I mean, I remember having one I in the know. 70s, but I, you know, not everybody, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so we just thought, well, we won't go with that. We'll, ha- we'll change it so that we've got a title that, that works in, across the pond both ways. So Oh, the flip chart was full of names, different ideas. They were flooding in the different names, the different options. And some of them were like, "Mm." some of them like, yeah, it's okay. And some of them, we were just starting to be a bit brutal with each other. Don't like it, you know, (laughs) sort of thing. But in the end, we came up with something. I think it was 20 questions for Jeannie Green and... I then I we kind of settled on it or sort of settled on it and then I had a meeting in London with my editor and another uh, colleague in from Simon and Schuster over there and every time the book was mentioned they said space hopper and I was going 20 questions for Jeannie Green and they were going space hopper and, then, and I said why do you keep calling it space hopper you know we've, we've kind of we've had our tears and we've put it to bed and we're changing it and they said the thing is everyone in the office keeps calling it space hopper and it's sort of stuck. So what they they then sort of decided that we would have it space hopper over here and just something else in the USA. I think that I think the preference is to have it the same name everywhere. But I think on this occasion they just decided that it was a really strong, iconic sort of word and image 
to have in the UK, strong enough to sort of keep it. And then Faye Far Away, which it's called in, in America, has got a very different feel to it, I think. But the cover that's going to come out does actually have a space hopper on the front. There's a, have you seen yeah. it? There's a, a girl and she's sort of a bit blurred. So I quite, I love that little nod to the space hopper. I love it. So there you go. That's, that's the story behind the name of well, no, I found it so interesting because how you market a book, I mean, they're, they say not to judge a book by its cover, of course, but your covers and names both make it feel very different in both places. So I just, I'm glad you told me about the backstory and all of that. Either way, it's great. I feel like space hopper is sort of a double entendre, but it's fine. It's paper away. Paper away is still like intriguing, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I have to say, whilst they both give me a very different feeling as well, I love them both. I love both the covers and I love I love both the names. And the, the far away is a reference to the faraway tree. Do you know the faraway tree by Enid Blyton? So again, an English writer, quite sort of, iconic here she wrote about a million books okay well now that we've established the different tones and titles and everything let's talk about what's in the book and the content of it which by the way I cannot stop thinking about I did not see any of that coming I keep like spinning around in my head and going back to the beginning to see how it all works and it's thought-provoking and Amazing. It was just so cool. I love how you did the whole thing. And I read somewhere that that wasn't even your plan at the beginning. Is that true? I didn't know how it was going to end at the beginning. No. And I don't think I'd be able to write a novel like that now because I like to know, I like to know the destination at least, and then sort of find my way there. But I didn't know. And what happened, I was at a friend's house and she was there with her teenage daughter. And she said, oh, tell, tell us about your novel. And I said, well, it's about this. And then the teenage girl, she was going there, uh, Megan, she was going, well, so, so what then, then what happens? And I start, I told her the next bit and I didn't want to bore them. So I didn't like carry on. And she was like, no, no. And then what happens? So I ended up, so I told them the whole thing up to where I had written it. And I was about two thirds of the way through or maybe three quarters of the way through, maybe not quite as far as that. And I was just chatting to them and I just thought, I just thought, I don't I mean, I don't want to give anything away. So I, it was a bit like, I, I'd love to do maybe this and I'm driving home because that's where I, that's where my characters, that's when they come to life and they start doing things when I'm in the car on my own and driving back home that day, I thought, oh my God, I think, I think I could do that. And I sort of, I didn't put my foot down. I didn't speed because I don't do that, but I, I certainly sped up with my writing. I just couldn't stop then. I was really worried that I'd get hit by a bus before I got the, the ending down. So, yeah, I was really happy with the ending. I felt that it worked. And oddly enough, it's almost like it was lurking because when I went back, the things that make it work were sort of there anyway. A lot of them were there anyway. So I was quite pleased. Maybe it was they do things on their own, the characters in there. They know what's happening before you do, I think, sometimes. It's true. Wow. Well, that's a... But thank you. Thank you for liking that and because I'm quite proud of that ending. It's great because I feel like it's hard sometimes to keep people's attention, right? I feel like I hear this all the time from busy people yeah. and asking me, like, how do you get to the end? And, da, da, da. and, you know, it's great when there's a plot that... I didn't know there was going to be anything special at the end. It just like made me want to keep reading anyway. So anyway, it was really enjoyable. And also even from the very beginning, I just want to read your opening sentence and maybe a couple other passages. But you said, the loss of my mother 
is like a missing tooth, an absence I can feel at all times, but one I can hide as long as I keep my mouth shut. And so I rarely talk about her. So sad. And I just wanted to know, did you, I'm sorry to even ask, this is probably none of my business, but did you lose your own mother? Is that where this plot is coming from? No, she's around. No, my mom's still alive. She's 80. And no, the the physical losses of parents are, are none of mine, but I do have friends who lost their parents when they were kids. That's where the nugget of the idea kind of came from. But the feeling of loss, when you write about loss, which I had never done before. And in fact, when I was writing this, I had the idea for the story and I didn't really latch on to the fact that it was about grief and loss really until afterwards, because I just wanted to get the story down, the plot And sometimes the grief got in the way a little bit. And when I wrote the first draft, I was a bit like, oh, and then she cried and then move on. They'll get it. And I sort of did that and I left the grief out a little bit. And when I went back and I had to work on it, sometimes that's what I had to work on. Because when the grief and the emotion needed to be there, it actually dropped out of the paper. When I first wrote Space Hopper, I didn't have an agent, but I scraped all my money together and I sent the manuscript off to an editor. And when she came back, she was really positive, but she said that. She said, the thing, she said, the thing you need to work on is when the emotion is supposed to be higher, it just drops off the page. And I start telling and not showing. And it's almost as though I've gone... I can't deal with the grief. So I sort of had to face that head on. So I dealt with loss from a personal perspective because I didn't ask my friends how they felt about it. I didn't sort of delve into their personal feelings of what it was like to feel loss. I have done that with the new novel that I've just finished. I've, I have really sort of looked at grief face on, but I avoided it in space, in Faye Far Away and Space Hopper at first. But no, it's not my loss. No, my parents are both alive. And now I have to ask about your next novel. Now that I have the visual of how many words you've gotten done and all of that facing grief head on. So what is the plot of your next one, if you can share it? I don't know how much I can share, actually, but um, this was a two book deal. So this is sort of still um, under contract with Simon Schuster. And it is... Well, and I will tell you the stage I'm at because, you know, it, it may end up being changed. So the stage I'm at is I've finished... And I've sent it to beta readers. I, I only sent it a week ago to them and they've, they've all come back. They've all finished it. So, <laughs> yeah, I was really pleased. And it's been really positive feedback. So it doesn't really mean anything ultimately because, of course, agent and editors have to like it. But I've had really positive feedback. So the central character is a young woman who loses her leg in an accident. And she's a very talented sculptor. She lives in Cambridge and she, she's got good friends. She's very cool. She's gay. She's a boy lesbian and she's just a great character. And she's, she's very funny and cool, but she lost her parents when she was young. So there was a lot of grief to deal with because there was not only the leg, but there was the, the way that grief I know this, oh, no, actually, I want to talk to you a little bit about this because I, one of the podcasts I watched when I was trying to see what you were like. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> was, um, is it Hope Edelman? Yes. Edelman. And she wrote something. The After Grief. After Grief. The After Grief. And she said about, she was talking about parents and how when you lose a parent, that grief never goes away, but it evolves. And then there are days when it's really hard and days where you're sort of getting on with life and you and it 
doesn't impede too much but and, and other times when it's just terribly difficult so with my character in the new novel she carries her grief again a bit like Faye and Faye Far Away she carries it but she she's not walking around you wouldn't know you wouldn't know she's grieving but she she carries her grief and then when she has this loss this physical trauma the grief from the past kind of it, it overwhelms it's just too much it's just too a loss too far really to deal with and without her parents being there but there are a cast of characters who are there for her and a bit like in Faye Far Away I I like I like nice people in my novels you know quirky and and unusual yes some of them but generally sort of good people and they are I don't think that's unrealistic because they're the sort of people I have in my life you know, I don't surround, I'm, I'm not surrounded by nasty people and I, I am grateful for that. But so I've tried to do something similar, which are just, you know, that cast of loving characters that we can hopefully get that heartwarming feeling off. What do you think it is that makes you drawn to writing about grief? I've thought loads about grief in the last few months because I was asked to do a webinar in the summer called How to Write Grief in Fiction. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she said, but you wrote Space Off <laughs> and there's grief. There's a grieving woman in it. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, I don't know how to write it because I, I think if it's worked in Faye Far Away and Space Off at the grief, some of that was either it came a little bit naturally or I got a little bit lucky because when I was asked to do this webinar, I did lots of research. So they said to me, you do a, a webinar on how to write grief and fiction. And I was like, Googling, how do you write grief in fiction? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do it. And it was really eye-opening. So, of course, I did what, what you do at the beginning of something. You say, I'm not the expert, but don't let that put you off listening. Because I found out some really interesting things that are helpful to me. So I'll tell you all the things that might be all those things that were so helpful to me. And that have really helped with writing this. And I actually, when I wrote Space Offer, like I said a minute ago, I, I don't think I was drawn to the grief. I think I was repelled by it. I really found it hard to touch it because it was like it was like touching an electric fence. I sort of I had to go near it in, in order to make things happen in the book, but I really didn't want to touch it because it felt like it was gonna it was gonna hurt. And and I had I, I did have an emotional time, you know, in terms of of writing about the grief in Space Hopper between mother and daughter, just because of just because of what I tapped into to try and make it work. And I don't know how many people do this, but you know when you're writing and you're trying to feel it, you know, and I kind of be at the computer or at the keyboard going, oh, I'd, be trying, I'd be trying to feel it and trying to tap in, trying to remember what it was like to feel hurt or feel abandoned or feel betrayed and try and, and tap into that. And I think you've got to be willing to feel the hurt yourself in order to get it down authentically. Otherwise, how are you going to do it? You, you can't pretend. It's a bit like pretending you like a Christmas present. You've got to really pretend you like it to sort of to, to give that. Otherwise, they're never going to believe you. And so, yeah, with with Space Hopper, I wasn't drawn to grief. I just didn't think about it. It was a side effect to her I, I was kind of interested in in the other part of the plot later on I've become more interested I'm more interested in it now and I read it I've been reading it to my son so it's been interesting to sort of see you know how it, it's felt I felt much more removed from it so I've been able to look at 
that that part of it. I am rambling now. What am I talking I about? I Start asking another question. <laughs> move on (laughs) there's another line I just wanted to talk about what you said I realized I knew nothing about this woman even though I loved her with all my heart and I just underlined it as I read because so often with our parents we feel like we know them but we have a side of them right it's a perhaps carefully chosen perhaps not but it's a side nonetheless and there's so much we don't know about our parents and now as parents there are things that like my kids might not know about I hope they're not listening Nothing specific, <laughs> nothing, nothing too, you know, revelatory in any way. But there is this sense of, can you love someone wholly if you don't know all of them? I don't know. It just like raised some question marks, question mark, question mark. Oh. So I don't know if you gave that line yeah. any thought or you just, it was just a throwaway, but it made, made me pause. <gasps> I give every line a thought okay. and I, I mean that. <laughs> I, no, I mean that. I really think about every line, but... Yeah, it's it's interesting that one because uh, especially like I've I've sometimes been with my mum, and then one of her friends will turn up, and I'm watching them going, "Who are you?" I don't, like looking at my mum, thinking, "You're never like that when you're just with me." And yeah, I think that more than the grief, I'm quite drawn to the fact that we know that you present yourself in different ways to different people. I think parenting is the strongest version of that. But we feel like we know our kids or they know us because we're around them so much. But I know that I have friends who I am a completely different person around compared to other friends. And I guess with parents, you know, it's the same. But I don't know if there's a generational thing as well. Like my parents would have wanted me to think that they had always been good and never sort of stepped out of line. My daughter asked me the other day if I'd ever skived off school. <laughs> skived is that is that in like English? Cut school, or, to cut school. Yeah, at school. So, you know, I, I did once or twice, but, and it, but it was horrible. And so I said to her, yeah, I did. And then I found myself sort of sitting on the other side of a hedge outside the field and feeling really weird and lonely and knowing that all my friends were in the classroom and they might be bored or annoyed, but they weren't on their own. So sort of, I just felt really out of place. So I said, I just tried to get back into the school and <laughs> and. So it was quite nice to be able to share it. I think we do that a bit more these days. We think, well, it might be useful to tell our kids that we weren't perfect because then they can let us know when they've done something wrong or whatever and, and not feel so intimidated. But then you don't want to be a, a really bad influence. <laughs> yeah, mine not skived off. I'm going around smoking. and <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a line to be drawn, isn't there? But I think it's better. To, to talk more I'd have loved to know my parents a little bit better when they were younger how old are your kids my son's 10 and my daughter's 12 excellent how old are yours I have 13 year old twins boy girl and then I have a seven-year-old and an almost six-year-old so you've got four kids wow yeah Lovely. and they're all doing homeschool as we speak and so far we haven't been interrupted so it's like a miracle <laughs> Wow. So they're not going into school at the moment. Hopefully after the... So over here, the kids are going to school, which, you know, a bit different. But it's good that you're able to homeschool so well. It really wasn't working here. I mean, it's not home. Like, it's remote. The teachers are on the end. But yeah. Not to say I got the supplies and (laughs) all the rest of it. Well, I thought this book was amazing. 
I love your personality. I'm like so excited for what's going to happen when this book comes out. I just had to like get that out. And I just want to know, aside from the flip chart, which I'm obsessed with, and I'm going to go start one as soon as we get off. And aside from the motivation and the regular writing, what advice do you have to aspiring authors who are trying to write a novel that gets picked up and that you start, and I know you started writing later in life and this is like a dream come true. So maybe tell me a bit about that and then go into your advice. And then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> okay, no, don't leave me alone. I'm loving it. Yeah, well, I started when I was 40. I think the first thing I wrote, I was about 44. And a friend had said to me, why don't you write something? So I'd had this idea. So I, And I gave her a chapter every week. This isn't Space Hopper. This is something I tried before. And I, I ended up abandoning. I wrote the whole thing. I was just very pleased to have finished it. And then I abandoned it because I'd had the idea for Space Hopper. And I think that the best advice, well, I've got a couple of bits of advice, really. And one kind of relates to this. So have you, you've heard of the author E.L. Dr. Rowe mm-hmm. and his famous quote, which is writing a novel is like driving home in the dark. You can only see as far as your headlights will allow. And but that's enough to get home if you just keep doing a bit at a time. So when I write, I write my I kind of know what I want to achieve in that bit of writing. I write that. And then in between then and writing the next time, I just think about what needs to happen just for the next little bit. I do think for me, it's useful to have a plan of the whole novel first. But I think that taking it a step at a time and that's where that comes into, because if I can take it one step at a time and fill in one bit of time and gradually see myself getting there, that really helps. But when I sent Space Hopper out to agents, I got a lot of rejections and I I started sending out in October 2018 and between October and December 2018 I had about 14 or 17 I can't remember how many was rejections and honestly they they really they ground me down and I was I just got to December and I thought I can't take this anymore I'm I can't do it if I can't do it with Space Hopper I can't I can't do this that's my I, I can't can't do it best not I can't do it better than that first time I just can't go on and then quite a strange thing happened so in the October that I started sending out my ex-husband's fiance who I get on well with not hadn't always got on well with but we do get on well she loves books okay I didn't realize at the time quite how much she loves books but she said to me can I read your novel and I was like I don't know if that's a good idea because you know it's kind of you know, she said, I won't, I'll read it. I won't tell anyone. I won't. Anyway, she read it. She said she loved it. And she said, I've deleted it. And then, so I got all those rejections. And in December, I gave up. And I cried myself to sleep every night for a very long time. And I thought, well, I, I was happy before. I can be happy again. And I kind of got over it. And I just didn't write anymore. I just left it. And then in February 2019, this girl, Sarah, sent me a message and she said, I've just finished reading a book and it's not the same as yours, but I got a similar sort of feeling, that kind of 70s vibe and that sort of just that mother daughter thing. And she said, it just reminded me of of your book. That's it. She just wanted to tell me. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then next day I was in Waterstones, the, the bookstore with my kids, and I saw the book that she was talking about and I flipped to the back thinking, I wonder if the agent has been mentioned and I she was so I thought I'll just send it to one more agent her and I sent it to her and I thought then I googled her and she's like a super agent and I thought I've got no chance here but I sent it anyway 
And a few days later, I had a message from her assistant saying, you know, it's Judith Murray from Green and Heat and she said, she's loving the first few chapters. Can you please send the rest of the manuscript? I was in the cinema at the time with my kids and like my friends and their kids. And I was like, yes, like this. And I didn't care. I didn't even want to watch the film. I was like, I've got to go home and send this. <laughs> Somehow I managed to get through the film, sent the manuscript and, and it all happened very quickly. So that was February and I met my agent on the 1st of March. So my point is, my point is, and, and every aspiring author is told this, you've got to find the right agent. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter how brilliant it is. If it's not for them, they have to get passionate about it. So I would say read stuff if you can that you think is something like yours, just got that same feel. And find the agents that worked on them because genre for me wasn't enough. One of the problems with, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but one of the problems for me with Space Hopper and, and Faith Far Away was that because it had a time travel element, but it's not science fiction, it's not fantasy, it's not really about time travel at all. It's about loss and grief and hope and, you know, a longing that a lot of people have, everybody has. But if I sent that book to, to agents that were interested in science fiction and fantasy they weren't going to be interested but if I sent it to any other agent they're like oh it's time travel it's not for me so that was really tough for me to sort of get the right agent and luckily with Judith she sort of I guess she sort of saw beyond the time travel element and what was the other book it was the queen of bloody everything huh well, now, now and, I have to go um, read that <laughs> <laughs> That's really strong, really strongly set in the 70s and a very strong mother-daughter relationship. No time travel. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> okay, last parting advice and then I'll let you go, for real. Oh, just read lots. I know that look, this is another massive piece of advice, but I found something that really triggered in me. And I don't know if you're interested in this because I found it fascinating. So everybody says read a lot because actually, you know, you're reading, you're getting ideas, you're sort of, for me, it's like sometimes I'm a bit boosted if I think, oh, I think I could do better than that. And then sometimes I read something and it's so great. I'm overawed and I'm like, I'll never, ever be able to write something this good. But there's something else as well. So Space Hopper is written in the first person and this novel is written in the third person. And what I found was, so I read loads when I was writing this or just before I was writing it and while I was thinking about it and then when I was actually doing it. If I'm writing in the third person, I can't read in the first because when I come to write, I have to sort of switch the way around that I'm thinking. So if I can read really good stuff in the same person as, as I'm writing in, that really helps. And I found that when I wrote Space Hopper, I sometimes thought I mustn't read because if I've got time to read, then I've got time to write. And I was really pushed then because I was, you know, I was working and my mum had had a stroke and the kids were at school and single mum. So it was quite hard to get those slots of time. But I would say if you can read, it seems in me, reading seems to trigger a writing button in my brain. So it does that. I would advise that. Love it. I'm sorry. I talk so long about stuff. I love it. This is what it is. It's a podcast. So I can listen to people talk about really cool stuff. So (laughs) in my mind, this is perfect. It's a perfect, perfect (laughs) podcast. Well, Helen, thank you so much. By the way, it almost reminded me in terms of feel, I don't know if you've read Rebecca Searles in five years. Have you read that book? No, but I'm going to write it down. Oh, I don't need to because I can watch the podcast. Oh, yeah, you can just <laughs> so what's, it, what's it about? It's a similar kind of alternate reality thing, but it's really about love. So yeah. anyway, um, you might want to check it out. 
I do but, want to check okay. it out. All right. Well, thank you. And you're so delightful. And I don't know if we'll ever end up in the same place, but it would be great to grab a drink or something at some point. Oh, I would love it. If we're in the same place at the same time, that would be fantastic. Okay. And in the meantime, congratulations you. on your book. Actually, I'm right outside now. I'm going to knock on the door. <laughs> would that be fun? And that's me. I'll put a mask on and everything. And your room's massive, so we can sit quite it a long way away. It looks big in this Zoom. It's really not. I, I promise. This really? is like two feet. My this ottoman is like three feet away from me. I don't know what it is in the Zoom. <laughs> I know. It looks much bigger. Anyway. All right. Have a great day. And thank you so much. And you. Lovely to meet you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thanks to com for sponsoring today's episode. Go check them out, pageandpairing.com, the weekly email that brings you book, wine, and recipe recommendations. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 